0: The world around us is changing rapidly, and your job as a fundraiser or nonprofit marketer is evolving with it. We're Pursuant. We're built by fundraisers for fundraisers, and we've been in your shoes. So we want to bring you tips and tools that you can use to meet you where you are in your current reality and help you go beyond to where you really want to go. You're tuned in to a Pursuant Listening Experience.
1: There's something magic that happens when you're a one-stop-shop fundraiser. Teams at small nonprofits often have to learn how to be scrappy with limited time and resources, and the results are often creative and innovative. Some of that creativity gets lost as fundraising teams scale, unfortunately. Often, additional purse strings come with additional red tape. In this episode, Taylor and I chatted with fundraiser Sarah Willie to unpack the magic that the small shop approach to fundraising can make when adopted
0: by larger teams. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Go Beyond podcast. We are here today with special guest Sarah Willie. Hey, Sarah, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? doing well. It's awesome to have you on the show. You and I started following each other and engaging with each other on LinkedIn. And then we got to talking one time about how we think there's a lot of small shop magic that can be turned into big shop magic. And and you came at me with this experience of moving from a small development shop to a larger development shop. So let's get right on into it. Sarah, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in development, and then we'll get into that small shop magic that turns into big shop magic. Yeah, sounds good. So
2: I'm Sarah Willie. I'm based in St. Louis, Missouri, and I fell into fundraising sort of in this hybrid sort of accident, but sort of planned way. So I originally was wanting to go save rainforest in Latin America or something when I was an undergrad. And then life happened and I fell into a career that my heart wasn't in. It was, it was meaningful. It was nice, but it just wasn't where I wanted to spend my life. And since I was working for a university at the time, I decided it would be fantastic to get a master's degree while I had access to a tuition discount and see where that would lead me. So I signed up for a master's in nonprofit management, not knowing exactly what that was going to look like, but knowing that, you know, my passion for the environment and for healthcare was something I became passionate about as well that there would probably be opportunities for me to find a path that would be a way to give back to the world while still making a meaningful career for myself. And my very first class in that program was resource development for nonprofits, where I discovered that fundraising as a profession exists and learned about what it looks like and discovered that it was exactly what I wanted to be doing So I discovered it sort of accidentally, but unlike a lot of people, I didn't take my first paid job in the field until after I completed a master's in nonprofit management. So the whole time I was going through the master's program, I looked for opportunities as a volunteer to start to build relevant skills while holding down a job that allowed me the tuition discount to continue that program. So uh, since I had a passion for the environment, I turned to the Sierra Club and did a lot of work at the local, state, and national level with them, some of it fundraising-related and some of it more volunteer management and governance-related. I also was able to work with the Asthma and Allergy Foundation as a volunteer and do a project with them, which was really meaningful because I have asthma. And so I was able to give back to somebody who's serving a population that I'm part of, and they were a small shop. And so I was seeing this kind of difference between the Sierra Club, that's this huge kind of grassroots-based national organization. And then also seeing the Aspen Allergy Foundation is also national, but you know, their chapters are a bit more independent than Sierra Club chapters are. And so it felt like just a very small organization with a one-person development team on the ground in my city And so getting to see that difference was part of my very early experience before I was actually officially working in the field. And the first job I took after finishing that master's was for a small public interest environmental law firm. So I got to get back into that environmental space, serve that kind of mission in a very, very tiny shop. And then from there, I've now landed at the University of Missouri St. Louis, which is a much larger shop than where I was before. And so getting to kind of, again, play that Back and forth, and, and look at what are the similarities and differences, and pros and cons of each situation.
0: I love that it's a great story, and you've got a really broad background in like being in a lot of different types and sizes of organizations, and so you've seen a lot of things and been able to take learnings onto the next role. So let's talk through what some of those aha moments have been since moving to the university and being in now a larger development shop?
2: Yeah, so I'd say, you know, I've given a lot of thought to what are the sort of pros and cons of each? You know, what do I miss about being in a smaller shop? But What am I so glad I have now that I'm in a larger shop? And, you know, the things that I think probably come to most people's minds, whether they've had experiences with each, are that, you know, budget is a huge difference between a small and large shop. And so certainly, when I was at a smaller organization, the budget was limited and I had to figure out how to do it for free if I was going to do it at all. Whereas um, here at UMSL, I found that, you know, money typically doesn't stand in the way. If there's something that we think we need to do our job effectively and it costs money, we're probably going to be able to spend the money that we need to, to get that resource. And so that wasn't a surprise, but you know, another thing that I think I've noticed is different is flexibility is something that you get more of in a small shop than in a large shop. So, you know, for those of you who are working in a small shop, like be grateful, like you get to do all of the things. The flip side is you have to do all of the things, but, you know, there's, there's some benefit to having that kind of day-to-day. You never know which part you're going to work on or getting to, to plan on working on different parts of development. And I think something else that really stands out to me is that in a small shop, you get to be close to program staff in a way that you might not in a larger shop. So where I was before, I actually literally shared an office with one of the attorneys. We were a public interest law firm that was on the ground doing work. And so sometimes I would overhear a conversation with a client uh, while he was on the phone, or we would just have a conversation about what was going on. The entire staff was in one office suite, and so it's really easy to talk to everybody and have... A team meeting that included literally the entire staff where I could really hear in real time every level of program update. In a larger shop, a lot of times you don't have that. Uh, of course, culture varies by organization, but there's just no way for me to have that close of a relationship with every single person who does direct on the ground program work at the university the way that I could there. And so you have to think about being creative about how you'll get the information that you need to tell the stories you need to tell to do fundraising. And I think, you know, something that I recognized slowly working in a smaller shop was the the isolation that can happen. So if you're a fundraising staff of one, you can feel a little bit alone. And of course, that's going to depend on, you know, does your executive director have a fundraising background? What kind of people do you have on your board and on your committees that might be able to share that fundraising knowledge and expertise? And and be partners in that work. And to what extent does everybody kind of say, yeah, that's your job. And we're not going to think about that. And so I think, you know, for me, one of the benefits I was looking for in going to a larger shop was having that opportunity to be part of a team of other people who also identify with this profession and are interested in thinking about best practices in this field and working together. And so that for me was one of the kind of big differences that I was looking at between big and small. And something that you know, is nice about a small shop and that I can miss some days are the kind of silos and the feeling of like stay in your lane because this is mine over here aspect of working in a larger shop that when you've gotten used to kind of being the one person who thinks about overall fundraising, it can be a struggle sometimes to kind of say, ooh, that part's not mine to worry about. So let me just stick to this little piece over here and let somebody else do
1: that part that, you know, would have been mine there but isn't here. Hey, this is Leah speaking. I love some of the things you've shared with us today, Sarah, especially this most recent point that you've brought up about sort of the, the pros and cons of working at a small shop versus a large shop and that a lot of times you sort of get to trade in or you have to trade in the freedom that you have working at a small shop versus sort of the maybe more assembly line kind of feeling of working at a larger shop. And it kind of brings to mind this idea that I think is pretty ubiquitous across different kinds of organizations, which is everybody in the organization works in sales. Everyone's in the business of sales. Um, That's sort of a common quote that gets thrown out. And I would say for nonprofits, you could argue that everybody at a nonprofit should consider themselves to be in the business of fundraising. And so I want to sort of take that lens and cast it on my next question for you, which is something you've already started getting into. But what is something a larger fundraising shop can learn from the scrappy nature of a small shop through the lens of kind of approaching the mindset that everybody who works at a nonprofit should have a fundraising bent to what how they spend their time?
2: Yeah, I think that part of that comes down to education. So. You know, whether you're a small shop or a large shop, do you make time to explain to people what that looks like? Especially if they don't work in fundraising, and give them real education on, you know, what does that mean? Does it mean you go out and ask for money, or does it mean maybe there's some other ways that you're involved? I found that a lot of times people who didn't choose to work in fundraising but are in a nonprofit somewhere where they might have that intersection have a lot of fear if they're if they're just given that kind of quote, but will maybe be very comfortable playing a key role in fundraising once they've had enough education to understand that the only thing a fundraising professional does isn't just ask for money and that there are a lot of things that are part of the the cycle and process that people from other departments can be really, really useful for. You know, one of the things that in a small shop would happen a lot is having to really think outside the box. And in a small shop, a lot of times that's kind of encouraged because you've got this sense of, you know, we don't have the resources. So we're going to come up with a way to get it done. And there's this kind of push for, yeah, be creative and figure it out. And I think sometimes when you get into a larger shop, there's a sense of, you know, we are established, we've been doing it a certain way, we have processes in place. And while there can be a lot of benefit to that, because it can lead to a lot of great efficiency, it can also stifle creativity. And so I think it's important in a, in a larger shop to remember that it is okay to try new things and that it is okay to get a little bit creative sometimes and do things not because they're the way they've always been done, but because it's a good idea to do them that way. And sometimes the, the right thing to do is the thing that's been being done for a long time because it works really well. But sometimes it's worth trying something new. And I think, uh, you know, doing things manually was a big part of small shop life for me because just the nature of what sort of resources I had available in terms of, you know, a database and resources that I could, you know, pay somebody else to do things for us. There was just a lot of, you know, write the letter yourself and get creative with doing some things, you know, just truly yourself, like body power. And so in a large shop, I found that sometimes slowing it down and actually taking time to maybe handwrite addresses on at least some of the envelopes or something like that can make a really big difference and that it can be okay to do things the way that is maybe slightly slower and not quite as efficient, but if it's more personal, it might be worth it. And I think another thing would be prioritizing time. So in a small shop, you really have no choice, but to get really careful with prioritizing your time or else you'll let work take over the rest of your life. And so if you're going to try to keep that balance, you really do have to figure out what has to happen first, what's most important and just get it done. In a larger shop with so many people to help share the workload, sometimes it's more possible for things to creep in and start to take up time that maybe aren't the best use of it. And so kind of coming up with that mindset of, I'm going really focus on what needs to happen and, and what are the top priorities and getting that done and using time wisely is something that I think I've
1: brought in from a small shop. So many interesting nuggets to chew on there. Something you shared that really resonated with me is how whenever you do have those limited resources, you are forced to get more creative with how you spend your time and how you sort of make things happen in the margins. And a lot of really innovative things can happen that way which is interesting because I've actually seen a similar argument applied to the subject of creative work in general and filmmaking in particular. There was this really great essay that I saw one time about how a lot of times some of our favorite films are the ones where the director was working with a really limited budget because it forced them to have to make great art out of really limited resources versus a lot of films that have sort of bloated budgets and kind of unlimited resources present a different problem where the director and the editor don't really know where to cut and what it would take to make the film great. And so, I don't know, I just love love sort of thinking about things that way when it comes to how we at nonprofits no matter what our size can be really mindful of how we're using our time and our resources and applying creativity to it. But I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit towards the topic of stewardship strategies and tactics. We at Pursuant recently released a study on donor loyalty, and it's a report called the Donor Loyalty Benchmarking Study. And we noticed in that report that there's a correlation between the size of the organization and retention rates with smaller organizations actually having higher retention rates So the question that I have for you is having worked at both small and large shops, what's your perspective on this idea of smaller organizations kind of having higher loyalty, higher retention rates with donors? What have you learned in your roles that you might contribute to this benchmark?
2: Definitely. I think in a small shop, oftentimes your donors are people who you know at least at first, if you think about a new organization just getting started, and so you've got a closer relationship with them, and so they're likely to stay close. And as you grow a bit more, you start to draw in people who hear about you not through a personal connection to you, the founder, but maybe through a connection to another staff or volunteer. But it still stays; it feels like a smaller community. I think a lot of times with a smaller shop, and you know, even when you get past the founder still being there, and you just you've got some staff. A lot of times, it's a small enough community that you have more ability to be personal with people, and you're more likely to be able to actually put a face, you know, in your head to the names in your database. There's a higher percentage of them than you could when you get to a larger shop. You've got a smaller number of people doing the work, and so, barring the uh, turnover that is uh, sadly inevitable in our field, you do have you know, a small number of people who can really kind of know those relationships and feel those relationships. And I think when you move into this kind of larger shop space, you know, there's just way too many people in the database for you as a staff member to possibly know as many of them, you know, on the streets. And oftentimes then you're starting to grow geographically. So they're not as nearby. It's not as easy to run into them when you're out and about. It's not as easy to Hold events that as many people can make it to. And you also start to get, you know, again, this segmentation where you've got some staff members doing this kind of thing and some staff members doing this kind of thing. So even if we were in this sort of idealistic world where there's no turnover in either shop, in the small shop, you've got the same people maintaining their relationship with you, no matter how you're giving or what you're giving to you at the organization. When you move to a larger shop, all of a sudden throughout the course of your time as a donor, you're going back and forth between, you know, okay, it's somebody who does more of an annual fund management who's managing your relationship with you. Oh, now you're giving at this level. So you're going to this other gift officer. Or now you're really getting interested in a certain program and they have their own person dedicated to that. Or now you're talking about a planned gift. So we need to have you talk to somebody else. And, you know, maybe over the course of, your donations, you know, in the course of the year, you may have different people interacting with you the course of your lifetime, maybe kind of shifting in and out of one person's space or another person's space. So I think that's definitely a piece of it is just that there's so many more people. So you just don't have that same ability to be personal. You don't have the same kind of close relationships that you would at a small shop. That said, I don't think that there is a reason that a large shop can't get just as personal and i don't think that every small shop actually does what they can with what they have my experience as a donor has been that regardless of size of shop most people just don't steward well enough most organizations just simply don't steward enough it's not prioritized and so i think whether you're a large shop or a small shop if you put that emphasis into retention if you put that emphasis into doing good stewardship to lead to that retention that you can be really really successful I think that smaller shops are probably a little bit more likely to focus their energy there because smaller shops may not see it as being quite as easy to acquire more donors because that is so capital intensive generally that a smaller shop may be more likely to put in that additional work to really target that retention through stewardship.
0: So Sarah, I think that's a really good point that you made and, and you've made a, given us a lot of really good nuggets today. That being said, my last question for you is around, you know, a lot of the things you mentioned can affect the culture of an organization. So if you had like one to three things, words of wisdom that you could give someone transitioning between, you know, a large organization to a small organization or a small organization to a large organization and that culture shift. What would that advice be?
2: Yeah, so I would say, you know, large or small, wherever you are, wherever you're going, always focus on stewardship um, and always me- take the kind of measurements that you need to find out how your retention is going because data is really important. But that said, in terms of the kind of culture between, I would say it's really important as a professional to think through and know what your genius is. And this is a term my friend Marianne uses. And your genius is that thing that is. Both a thing you're good at and a thing you enjoy. Your genius is that thing that just makes you want to get up and do the work. And if it's not your genius, it's something that you want to figure out how to spend less of your time on. So maybe in a small shop, that means hiring a consultant if you could afford that. Maybe you don't have the, cap- the capital for that. So maybe it's finding a volunteer. So, say, graphic design is not your genius but you're working on an event and you need flyers and social media posts. And so maybe you're able to find a graphic designer to serve one of your committees as a volunteer and you can offload that part, even if you're not at the kind of shop that has its separate marketing department to help you with that. In a big shop, that means looking for the right position within your organization. That's going to be a fit where you can spend more time on your genius and less time on whatever is not your genius. And it can also look like, kind of looking within your team, and our team has actually been doing this here at Umslar annual giving and alumni engagement team is really looking at what are those, those things that don't have to belong to one particular role that kind of have fallen onto one particular person that they kind of wish somebody else would take? And is there somebody else on the team who actually kind of likes that kind of work? So you know, Maybe that's some kind of data entry thing that just has to happen and it just happens to be assigned to somebody who doesn't love that. Somebody else actually enjoys it. So maybe we shift things around a little bit because maybe that's okay. We, we give people more time to work where their genius is. And then another thing I think is really important as an individual, as a professional, when considering making a a shift to a new organization, especially if you're going to be making the kind of shift that takes you from large to small or vice versa, is to be intentional. I think throughout our careers, we have to really take the time to think about what is it that we're looking for? What is the professional growth we're looking for? What are those things we're looking to get in terms of balance with the life we have outside of our work? Because hopefully we have more to our life than just our professional life. And so Really, kind of reflecting regularly for me, it looks like a quarterly one day retreat that I take to just stay at home and really do these reflections in a formal way. But that's just my way of doing it. And there may be a different way that works for you. But really thinking about where am I trying to get to in the long term, and the steps that I need to take to get there are X, Y, and Z. And where I'm at now is serving me because I'm able to build this skill or. this opportunity and you know when it's time to move on from here here's this kind of constellation of things that i want to get out of that next move and it's okay if that changes from time to time so maybe you have a life event that makes you rethink that and that's okay but knowing what path you're kind of aiming on at the moment and knowing what's going to serve you so that you can recognize when your current job is no longer quite the right thing and you need to either make some changes within your organization, make some changes within your role, or look for a new role somewhere else, Um, being able to be intentional and kind of know
0: what it is that you need and want out of that move. Such good advice. And it's great to have you share that insight with others in the field who might be struggling with this or going through transition. And I love that you talked about taking those moments of reflection and the time to really reflect and think through the next steps. So Sarah, this has been awesome having you on as a guest. You've shared a ton of really amazing wisdom. If people want to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
2: Yeah, I would absolutely love to hear from anyone who's listening to this podcast. I am very active on social media. So on Twitter and Instagram, you can reach me at the handle at Sarah Nicole eight three eight. That's S A R A H N I C O L E and the digits eight three eight. On LinkedIn, I'm Sarah Willie, and uh, so you can find me there as well. And I would love to hear you know your thoughts and reflections on what we talked about today. It's also possible to email me. That's Sarah S A R A H dot Willy, really, W I L L E Y at umzl u m s l dot edu. And so, feel free to reach out to me however you're comfortable, and
0: I would love to hear your your feedback. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great afternoon. You too. Thanks. Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in with us. Be sure to check out all of the latest and greatest Pursuant resources at Pursuant.com or drop us a line at info at Pursuant.com.